0: Hearts in heaven, hallowed be thy name, if thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but listen, evil one. In Christ, you our Lord, for thine is the kingdom of power and glory. Found. Okay, anyone who knows me knows that, like, the paralytic by the pool, I don't like him, I struggle with him. Um <laughs> and I, I just I'm 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 always trying to be nice. Now I know that we all just did Lent together. Um and so there's been like readings um for him at church and, and I'm sure tons of, of sermons um as well. So I'm I'm probably gonna try not to rehash things I did because we had a, a a Zoom session um together. Uh, here in Vancouver Um, and so I don't want to um, necessarily rehash although most of you weren't actually on that so I may so with the two or three of you that were there then forgive me it ends up going that way Um, but this week's one might be a little bit more on the like not too academic but a little bit on the academic side Um, because um, this is an interesting chapter. This is like a major. Um, let me turn off the waiting room so that I'm not um, distracted. There we go. Um, this is a pivotal moment in the Gospel of John because this is where a big fight begins, like a hardcore fight begins that doesn't end literally until they, they kill God. Um, that's how it worked up they get about this scenario that we're doing. The other reason why it might be more on the dogmatic side today is because a lot of people um, talk about Jesus calling himself God through, like, the I am statements. Whereas this is one of the chapters where that's not happening, but he is definitely making God claims. Um, And it's the reason why they want to kill him, actually, because he's being accused of blasphemy. Um, And I think that matters more these days where, again, there's a common, like, thing or people thinking that Jesus didn't say he's God when he did. Um, So where we're going is going to be by the temple. Um, There's a feast. Most likely this feast that he's going to the temple for is Pentecost, actually. Um, So people went back to the temple for the Feast of Tabernacles, um, the Feast of um, Passover, and the Feast of Pentecost. Um, the reason why it's likely the Feast of Pentecost is because you're going to see Christ getting into, like, the whole Moses thing. Um, and in the Feast of Pentecost, the Jewish Feast of Pentecost, they were celebrating the receiving of the law. So it makes sense that Moses would be coming up a lot um, in that context. Um, and I want to show you guys Bethesda.
1: Um How do I
0: start the slideshow? Okay. You can ooh and ah. I won't be. <laughs> so um, I just think there's something different about ooh. seeing. Well done. Thank you kindly. Uh. <laughs> there's something different about seeing things, right? Like oh. of, of what, it, what it's like. So this was, um, they did excavations in the 19th century where they found the pool Bethesda with its five porches. Um, okay. You're lucky. Um, this is the, the entrance door is in that lower center of the picture. Again, I don't know if you guys can see my cursor, but you can see the door. Um, and then that's a zoom in on the door. Um, this looks way better in another app, but this is like the main entrance of those, those pools. Um, now here's, what's cool. Like when I was looking at some of these photos, um, I pulled this right out of like this reference right here, but, um. I didn't know that within the five porches, one of the reasons why they were even more sure that this really is that pool, um, is there's a faded wall fresco that depicts an angel and water, which was their tradition that there's an angel that comes to, to move the water for the healing. So um, this is a color view of it. Um, then I just want to show you guys a little bit of a map. Can you guys see the cursor when I circle and stuff? Okay, cool. Yeah. So. Just so that it's also more clear that we're talking about everyone's coming to Jerusalem to the temple over here for these feasts, right? And so there's this pool over here. um, And then right over here is Bethesda. So it's not shocking that the Lord is out here because it's right by the temple. So these people are all coming here hoping for healing. Um, And as we're going to see, the guy's been here for 38 years. Um, but we don't know if he's actually by the pool the whole 38 years. I doubt it. Um, but just that he keeps coming back. Um, we'll get into all of that. But this is just in context of, of where things are physically. And then this is the same thing, but, like, zoomed zoomed in. Tada! da Okay. Um, just so that you have a visual while we're, um, while we're doing this. So we will read the chapter. And then
2: get into it. I mean, Father, I great. Can you keep the diagram out? Sorry? Are you going to keep the diagram out while you're reading, or is it?
0: Oh, I, I could. Do you want it?
2: I, I kind of, yeah, didn't have a chance to kind of look through it. What was that? I didn't have a chance to look through the whole, like, I wanted to see it just to... Ah, no problem. Let me... Yes, this one? Sure. There's a lot there. There's a lot going on here, so it's kind of
0: oh but if i do that i can't see my bible anymore can i
2: okay you can share works. you can share that specifically and still do other things with your screen okay but your screen is black right
0: now my screen is black yeah oh it's supposed to be sharing it okay i give up i give up
1: no 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 we could i could see it
0: i okay. could see I'm what sorry.
2: You're... oh then maybe i had the problem i don't know the peter
0: Update your Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) My
2: screen. I don't know. Peter just messes
1: things up. AP.
0: He's a troll. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, Peter. Good one, Peter. All right. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Hebrew called. And this is where there's a discussion after Bethzatha or Bethesda, which has five porticos or porches. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he'd been lying there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his pallet and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, the man who healed me said to me, take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you to take up your pallet and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him See you are well sin no more that nothing worse befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is what this was why the Jews persecuted Jesus because he did it did this on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them My father is working still and I am working. This is why the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also called God his Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, that you may marvel." For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and come forth, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil, to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own authority. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I bear witness to myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness to me and I know that the testimony which he bears to me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony which I receive is from man, but I say this that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than that of John. For the works which the Father has granted me to accomplish, these very works which I am doing, bear me, bear me witness that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness these very works which I am doing. Sorry, um, believe, has himself borne witness to me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding you, for you do not believe him whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know that you have not the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. It is Moses who accuses you, on whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And glory be to God forever. Amen. Okay. All right, I'm going to turn off sharing mode so I can see you guys again. Again, anyone willing to um, put your... um your pictures on, your videos on, great. If not, no problem. It's just less awkward. Thank you for the few of you guys that have, okie dokie. And where are my notes? Okay, so as we said, this whole thing is happening at um, the temple. And we've talked a lot about how the temple has become this like dark place. Right. It's not anymore seen as this place of light and and this place that's supposed to radiate holiness, righteousness, goodness isn't. Right. Which is part of the reason possibly why in the gospel of John, the cleansing of the temple happens at the beginning of the gospel rather than um, at the end. Right. And that stage is already um, set. And what we're seeing here is if you for those of you who have been to Cairo and gone to the cathedral, you have a sense of this. Those of you who have the really big churches, think of A'id, think of the feasts where churches jam packed and everybody's out there. I'm saying the cathedral in Cairo because it's like it's not just the church, it's the whole courtyard is everywhere. There's people everywhere. Right. And this is the scene that we're walking into. And that's why I had that map up is that this pool that's next to it is where this is all happening. Now, the Jews. Have reduced religion, and by Jews, I'm using the way Saint John does in the Gospel. I'm talking about the leadership, um, where things have been reduced to this like legalism, right? To be a good Jew is to follow these rules, show up at temple, right, and and vote for Israel. Okay, so that's what it's being reduced to, and and these fees have become like this thing that people just go to, and so. The Lord clearly finds this abhorrent because we see that he clashes with them like crazy. Um, But this is this backdrop that's happening. Now to them, the laws of Moses are everything. Now we know about the 10 commandments, right? Um, And the Jews have developed their own traditions about how to honor that, okay? And so a lot of these rules where they have that you don't find in the bible are found in jewish texts one of them being called the mishnah okay um and so i'm going to read you what the prohibitive some of the prohibitive laws about sabbath to understand how nitty-gritty these laws were that when christ is coming in being like here are your rules he's referring to these right so here's from the mishnah some of the prohibitions on the sabbath that are that affect what's about to happen today okay um the categories of acts of labor prohibited on the Sabbath are forty less one. He who sows, plows, reaps, binds sheaves, threshes, winnows, selects from unfit produce or crops, grinds, sifts, kneads, bakes. He who shears wool, washes it, beats it, dyes it, spins, weaves, makes two loops, weaves two threads, separates two threads, ties, unties, sews two stitches, se- tears in order to sew two stitches. He who wants to trap a deer, slaughters it, flays it, salts it, cures its hide, scraps it, and cuts it up. He who writes two letters, erases two letters. In order to write two letters, he who builds tears down, he who puts out a fire, kindles a fire, he who hits with a hammer, he who transports an object from one domain to another, lo, these are the 40 generative acts of labor, that's one. These are all prohibited on the Sabbath. Right? If you break these rules, it's death penalty. Okay? Um, also, he who takes out a loaf of bread into the public domain is liable. If two people took it out, they are exempt. You can help each other. If one person could not take it out, but two people took it out, they are liable. He who takes out food in a volume less than the specified measure in the utensil is exempt even on account of taking out the utensil. For the utensil is secondary to the food. He who takes out a living person in a bed is exempt even on account of taking out the bed, for the bed is secondary to him. If he took out a corpse on the bed, he's liable. And so one who takes out an all his bulk of the corpse matter and all his bulk of carrion and a lentil's bulk of a dead creeping thing is liable. And Simeon declares him exempt. So I'm reading these to say, this is what the people were governed by. When we're reading like the Sabbath, rules in the bible we're not aware that it was it was to this extent right and so one of the rules here is taking things from an object from one domain to another which is what we see happening in this story right where this person dares to carry his um palette right um and that's why they're upset so bethesda which is where this happening oh someone has their hand up Tim, go for it.
3: Yeah, so sorry. <clears throat> I was actually just wondering, where did where did you where did those rules come from? Like where is the are those rules written in the Bible or something separate to the Bible? Because I've I've never
2: ever heard any of those.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and so this is and, and, and the church was allowed to, the old testament church, they made these rules, right? They were saying God commanded us to honor the Sabbath. And then they yeah. were How do we um, honor the Sabbath? Okay. And so, in their honoring of the Sabbath, right, they develop rules. Sorry, someone is thinking, is that coming? So, they start developing these rules. And some of these rules are excessive, right, Um, which is why Christ calls them out on them. And he doesn't say that making these rules is wrong, but the problem is that they're just, they lose the point of it right? So they're trying, to them, righteousness is this outward thing, right? And that's something that Christ changes when he comes, of saying, for you guys, it's wrong if somebody kills someone. I'm telling you, it's wrong to even hate them, right? He starts switching things to become internal, not just external. So the Jews that have been familiar with these laws, and the ones who would readily divide these rules were the Pharisees, and the people with the power to implement the law were the priests and the high priest and the whole Sanhedrin, right? Which is why we're going to see that they're going to gang up on, on the Lord.
3: Um, so are you reading those from the Jewish Talmud? Or like, where did you find those rules? Yeah, that's from the Jewish Mishnah. The Mishnah.
0: Yeah. And so the Mishnah is like an added separate books, like just like how we have... Um, canons we have the bible as as orthodox christians we have canons we have patristics we have exegesis we have homilies we have all these things the jews have all these different categories too um so they have mishnah they have talmud right they have targum um they have these different things and so the mishnah is one of these authorities in the jewish tradition Um, and that's straight out of the mishnah that's not a christian book about mishnah that's from the jewish mishnah um and so these are the rules and now here's the thing, if you break the Sabbath, you're worthy of, it's, it's worthy of death, right? And so here's this man who is by the pool, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. And when this healing that we're going to read about occurs, or that we just read about, all the people are seeing is broke the law worthy of death. They're not like, oh, wow, 38 years, paralysis, and he can move, right? It's kill him right? This is breaking the law, right? And so here's our scene. The Jews are at the feast. Everyone's in Jerusalem. They're at the pool. And this guy, I mean, we'll meditate on him near the end because he really frustrates me, but he's there. He's not happy. And the Lord seems to go right for him. And he asks him like the normal question of the gospel of John, do you want to be healed?" which is another form of asking, do you believe even that you could be healed? Right. And so the man doesn't reply with yes, please. Right. Or could you, his response is no one helps me. Whenever the angel comes, I don't get to go in because other people get in there before me and my life is so horrible. Um, and that, that's his response. Um, And the Gospel of John is different than the other Gospels because um, in the paralytic scene in Mark, he's taking up a bed. In in the Gospel of John, the word that's used is is pallet or mat, which shows you that this guy was actually very poor, right? Like he had like the the most basic kind of thing um, to sleep on. And so Christ says to him, take it and walk. And immediately the man is healed and he takes up his pallet and walks. Now here comes the crime. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jew said to the man who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to be carrying your pallet. And like, you should know this is a big deal. His answer to them is, the man who healed me said to me, take up your pallet and walk. Right? He sells out the Lord, but he doesn't even know who it is. Now, as we said, he's breaking the law. He's carrying an object from one domain to another. Um, in this case, his man. Now, here's what's funny. when, when you, The part that I read to you guys about liable versus non one of the things that I read to you guys that was allowed was that you were allowed to carry a bed if a person was lying on it, but you're not allowed to carry the bed. Apparently, if it's empty, right? Which just shows like the the, the messed upness, right, of, of of these of these traditions, right? That have been they've, they've clearly just gone too far. Um, and so the Lord is not yet being accused of violating the law himself, but now it's like he's aiding and abetting a crime. And the person accusing him is the guy who, who was healed, right? Like, it's, it's actually so offensive. I I I struggle with this guy, right? Because he's like, oh, no, 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 this is not my fault. The one who healed me, he told me to do this. So now they're like, well, who is this guy? So they ask him, who is the man who said to you, take up your palate and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus who was drawn, which is also mind-blowing. Right, where you've just been healed and you, you're, you don't even know who did it. Right, It, 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 it shows you, and again, we'll, we'll deal with this man near the end, but to me, that there's some level of self-absorption going on where you can be healed of something that you suffered from, from 38 years and you don't even know who healed you and the minute you're asked about him, you sell him out. But it's selling out gets worse. Right. But here's what's cool about the Lord. It says, for Jesus had withdrawn, or in plain English, Jesus has slipped away. And it really says something to you about God. He's God. He's not interested in the in the praise or in the masses or of being celebrity. He heals this man and just slips away. Right? He's not looking for this adoration and praise and 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 everything. Which again is worthy of meditation, and I, and I throw these things at randomly to be like: when you're reading the Bible, are you thinking about the characteristics of God when you read it? Right? Because we like when you ask people why did God make man, many people be like, oh, so we could praise Him. It's not consistent with what we see in His behavior. Right? Where He's not like, oh yeah, yeah, bring it. He slips away. Right? He's walking away and saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking for that. But here's the thing. The man who's now in the temple is excited, probably the first pentecost the first Pentecost on his feet, literally, right He's in the temple, probably excited that finally he can participate like everybody else, and Jesus finds him and says to him, "Listen here,
1: you're well now, you're well.
0: sin no more." That nothing worse befall you, and we'll talk again about that at the at the end. I want to get into the dogmatics of it first, and then the spiritual meditations we'll do at the end. So the man, so here is God saying, apparently, your sin has something to do, how I read it, with your disease and some of the fathers, not just me. Chelibelik, right? Take care that you don't get something worse from what you're doing. And what is the guy's immediate reaction? Uh, there were a verse, sorry, sometimes the verse that he slips away is verse um, uh, verse 13. But this guy immediately, after encountering the Lord, knowing now who it is, knowing what the Lord has said to him, goes straight back to the authorities and says, It's Jesus. Right? He goes straight back to them and throws him officially under the bus. So if it was by accident before, now it's completely, and, and I mean, there's no, he, I'm sure he understood that he wasn't being asked nicely. He wasn't being asked because they were excited about the Lord did he was being asked because they don't like him, right? And they don't like that he's doing this thing on a Sabbath. And so he goes, go and t- he goes and tells them it was Jesus who did that. And this was why the Jews persecuted Jesus, because he did this on the Sabbath. So we're now seeing that. The reason for that what's all going to happen from chapter five to the end of the gospel starts from a guy who's healed, complaining about the guy who healed him. And, to Martin. Martin. Um, and so the Jews are now upset, and they're saying, "What are you doing? How dare you? It's the Sabbath. What are you thinking right now? Right? And so the Lord answers back, and this is going to get them even more riled up. My father is working still. And he hasn't said which father. He, like, he hasn't said Joseph, right? He said, my father is working still, and I am working. And here we see that the Jews get it, because it says this was why the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath but called God his Father, making himself equal with God. So, first of all, they're saying you're already guilty of a crime by telling someone to do work on the Sabbath, and that crime is worthy of death. But if that's not enough, you're making a crime even more worthy of death because this is blasphemy. Because they're understanding what he's saying is to say that if his Father is God, then he's equal with God. So this isn't some historical misunderstanding. Right? That's not what's happening right now. And saying that God is his father, he makes himself equal with the father or that he's another God. Why? Because the Jews already believed that God worked beyond the seventh day. They believed that. That wasn't something new to them. Right? Um, and so for them... God, they, they basically understood that if, if God wasn't working, everybody would be dead, because it's God's grace that's keeping everybody alive, right? That God can heal, God gives life, God, people are born on the Sabbath, therefore God is giving life on the Sabbath. So they're understanding that God has this sovereignty over the Sabbath, where he's not tied to the Sabbath, he has authority over it. And that's why even the Jews themselves allowed some exceptions for work on the Sabbath. For example, circumcision was allowed on the Sabbath because it was seen as an act of God, of making well. So they were allowed to do, for example, that ritual on a Sabbath without any um, issues. So for Christ to break the Sabbath and say, my father working and I am too, they're like, okay, so then you must be saying that God is your father because the only one who works, works on the Sabbath is God. Or are you saying you're another God that can work on the Sabbath? If so, you're you're still committing blasphemy because you're claiming to be a different God and we don't believe in any other gods than our God. So regardless of how you look at it, Jesus is committing blasphemy. And now he's worthy of death. But Jesus is saying he's working with God and is also exempt. So we have a problem. Right. And so if you can imagine, there's these people who already don't like Christ. And some of the analogies we used last, we used last time, right, this, this adored servant or bishop or whoever. Right. That they're already looking for reasons to tear apart and take down. And now he's giving them exactly what they need. He's saying the very things that they're like, OK, like, listen to the guy. Right. He's, he's calling himself a god. And so, but Jesus, the Lord is, is trying to appeal to them. He's saying, you're coming to me with an accusation, but I have reason to break your rules. Number one, on humanitarian grounds, right? Because look at those rules that we talked about. So the Lord is saying, well, on a Sabbath day, a man is allowed to give water to an animal or pull it from a ditch. That's from the Mishnah saying you guys are saying that that's allowed so why am I not allowed to heal that conversation you see in the luke one right not in in, in this account he's like but you guys you, you guys literally allow us to help an animal in your like long list of rules what about what about humans right then he's also saying later on in this gospel because there's a this fight continues into The Feast of Tabernacles, where he'll say, "You guys circumcise on the Sabbath, so why can't I heal on the Sabbath?" So that's the humanitarian grounds, but he's also saying it theologically. And we again, we don't see it in this version of the Gospel of John. I'm just trying to bring them all together. In Matthew, for example, where he says, "But you know what? The Old Testament priests, they didn't work on the Sabbath." So why are you mad that I'm doing it? And he's saying so you can understand that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so this is exactly what they were waiting for, right? Is they got the dirt, right? Where are like, no, this guy's officially lost it. He's psycho. He's making bold claims. This guy's a fraud. He can't be the Messiah. Whereas Christ is saying the opposite. He's enforcing his messianic claims. And so he's also saying, actually, I'll skip that part. Okay. Now, there's an interesting parallel that's going on here. Because the Jews are charging the Lord with rebellion and pride, similar to Adam's sinful attempt to be like God. Right? And it's interesting because Christ is coming as the new Adam to redeem Adam. Right? And they're basically giving him the accusation of of old Adam, but I won't I won't spend that long on it, right? So these are the accusations, right? And now the Lord has this discourse that doesn't say, even though he doesn't have a bunch of i am statements here, he's going to turn this thing on its head and be like, "Oh no, I, I'm making a claim that I stand by. I, I'm God. like'm I'm not I'm not going to be hiding from that." Um, and he's going to talk about his divine commission, his divine authority, proofs of his messiahship in this this section that comes. So now the Lord starts answering, and this becomes part of a long problem, as we said, that we're going to come in and out of throughout the rest of this gospel. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but what he sees the Father doing, for whatever he does, that the son does likewise. So here's interesting, because again, this discourse is very hard. That's what I'm saying this, this chapter is a little bit heavier, because if you don't know Judaism and their culture, the words are very heavy, okay? So the Lord here is appealing to something that was very understandable in Jewish and Mediterranean culture at the time, apprenticeship, okay? That anybody in that time If you wanted to learn something, you go, you apprentice. You're going to be a carpenter, you go to a carpenter, right? Parents apprentice their kids, tradesmen apprentice other tradesmen. And so he was saying, I'm apprentice to the father, right? He's maintaining the distinction between him and father, but also saying what you guys understand by seeing, so do I. I'm doing what the father does. The father works, the father gives life on the Sabbath. The father does all these works on the Sabbath, so do I, right? and so the apprentice does what the master does. So Jesus was known as a carpenter's son. And so if he was speaking about an earthly father, they would have assumed that he's talking about carpentry. And so that's why they're even more sure he's talking about God, because he's talking about doing work on the Sabbath, which only God is allowed to do in his full rights. So he's saying, I do what the father does. He knows who they're talking. About. They know who he's talking about. I mean. um, And so he's called on this proverb, okay, Um, that the father is allowed to do certain things on the Sabbath, like granting life. And so when Christ grants life, he's doing a work of God. And this is a big deal because it was not understood that a normal person could give life. Where are we going to see this blow up even more? Lazarus right because to them no prophet on his own power on his own dignity could raise the dead right and so we're going to see that Christ is saying it now and then he's going to really do it right where he's like no I have that authority I can just command it so one of them is is like yeah I see the father give life so I do too um granting life now let me find my notes so I got lost um And so this guy by the pool, who's crippled, and he's told not to sin, Christ is saying, I'm granting him life. The source of his his illness, the source of his death is his sin. And I'm healing him on the Sabbath. I'm granting him life on the Sabbath, because God grants life on the Sabbath, and I watch the Father do that, and so I do it too. For the father, verse 20, loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these, greater than me just healing a cripple, are you going to be shown that you may marvel, like Lazarus, like we just said. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whomever he wants. Right? So this claim to raise the dead is a really big deal. And it also even echoes, again, keep in mind that the context of this is the Feast of, of Pentecost for them, where they're talking about Moses, because Moses even says to the people, there's this parallel drawing, Moses says in Deuteronomy in Numbers, the Lord has sent me to do all these things, it was not my idea. And the Lord is, is saying the exact same thing to He's like, I'm doing what the Father does,
1: right? Right. Um, sorry I'm just I keep getting lost because my eyes keep wandering. Um,
0: I will skip that part because we already kind of talked about it. So the first part of it was giving life as being a divine sovereign thing that belongs to God. But here's the other part that Christ is claiming to himself that theoretically doesn't belong to him if he was just some guy which is judgment. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. He's like, God actually granted me this ability to judge that all may honor the son, even as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Now, in second temple theology, in the temple of these Jews at this period of history that they're in, They were very acquainted with only God does the judging. So when Christ is saying, actually, God gave me to judge, they're like, whoa, 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 here's another God claim. You're claiming that you have authority to judge. You shouldn't. And he's saying, oh, but I do. He's like, so if you think you're going to catch me on Sabbath, oh, dudes, bring it. I've got more for you. I I not only am breaking the Sabbath. I give life, God claim. I pass judgment, God claim. We're going to talk about what he means by judgment. And so like, if you can imagine, it's just like, oh, wow, this is like so easy. We got him on tape, right? Like, like that's what's equivalent to that. We're like, we like, we have this on video, guys, right? Like, what more evidence do we need? We, we got the guy. And so he says, all honor is committed to the son. And if you don't accept the son, you don't honor the father who sent him. This is another important concept that's not clear to us modern readers, why that was a big deal to them what what does it mean to say if you don't honor me you don't honor the one who sends me in that time in that culture the messenger is treated the same as the sender right that you didn't have email you didn't have all this stuff right so when you need to send a message if the king sends a message he sends this herald the messenger and that messenger comes on authority of the king. And the Lord uses this in multiple places. He's using it right here. He also uses it when he sends to these people in this, in this vineyard that he owns that they end up killing. Right? Where they're saying the, how you treat the messenger is, is in their culture is exactly what you think of the guy who wrote the message. Okay? So by Christ saying that he's the authorized messenger is keeping with Old Testament dealings of the Old Testament, where Moses and the prophets were considered to be God's agents and mouthpieces who acted on God's behalf, okay? And so the agent is as important as the man who's got the agent as himself. And this is in Jewish law, right? I'm not going into it in Bereshit and all this stuff. And so Jesus is establishing his right to be worshipped no, he's not asking to be worshipped, he's, he's, he's owning his right to be worshipped by saying, if I am the one sent by God, then your treatment of me should be the same as the treatment of God, even by your own rules, right? He's using their rules to give that message, right? So in other words, he's outlawyering them, right? He's being like, if these are your rules
1: that you made up, practice them and that that's why they're he he,
0: he's he's cornering them right um because now he's making himself a claim to deity because of worship so he's saying because of his unique relationship with the father god's glory the father's glory also belongs to him if you take this analogy to the fullest, i know this is complicated this is one of the harder chapters don't worry if you don't get it it's going to be okay it's not the end of the world but Um, It does matter a lot in terms of the context of the whole controversy, because like I said, this is going to end up in why he gets killed. Right. And that we don't always understand why would they kill him. This is part of it. Um, Verily, verily, truly, truly, amen, amen. Verse 34, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. There's this backdrop to what the Lord is saying right now from Ezekiel, right? Think of Ezekiel when he says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is Ezekiel uh, uh, 37 um that the lord god behold i will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and i will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that i am the lord so god himself is often referencing their prophecies in their scripture to draw more attention to who he really really is and that's why when christ is saying if you believe in me you can pass from death to life And just like Ezekiel said, that there will be, you will come to life when you know that I'm the Lord. Christ is saying, and if you know who I am, you'll have life. He's intentionally tying these things, right, to say this is who I am. God claimed, verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So the Jews understood none of us have our own life. We receive life. The only one who lives by his own just simply being is God. And so Christ is getting even more explicit. He's saying, me too. And, and no human can, right? So this is,
1: this is another God claim. And this is a divine attribute.
0: And so God is, uh, verse 20, 26, come back. He's granted the son also to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, the Ezekiel prophecy, and come forth, Ezekiel prophecy, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Christ is saying God breaks Sabbath on two points, life, justice, and that's what I'm doing. That's how it comes back to Sabbath. That's where this whole argument has gone, right? So the Jews say God is able to always give life and give judgment, even on Sabbath, and Christ is saying, me too. I'm not breaking the Sabbath any more than God is. So in Natchez, most people will be like, well, you're not God. So you can't, and Jesus is saying, actually, yes, I am. That's the fight, in plain English, summarized. And so they're like, whoa, 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 whoa.
1: Christ takes it further.
0: I can do nothing on my own authority as I hear I judge, this whole um, apprenticeship model. My judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I bear witness to myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness to me, and I know that the testimony which he bears to me is true. Now, let me step out for a second before we lose it about the judgment part, just to clarify what, what's going on with the judgment part. Right? We're talking about giving life, that God gives life. So this judgment thing is, a, is part of what it means to give life. Because it's vindicating the good. So Christ is saying, the truth is me. The truth is God. If you accept the Lord's words, you receive life. If you refuse them, you've chosen the judgment of death because you're separating yourself from life. So Christ is saying, this is just consequential of who I am. Literally who I am. Right? Now, we're about to take a different turn of events right now. And like I said, if you're not following, don't worry about it. And we're going to zoom in on the spirituality near the end. But this is important stuff. Keep in mind, the charge against him, blasphemy, aiding and abetting breaking the Sabbath, demands death. So what's happening here is supposed to be the beginning of a trial, a real trial. Because he just publicly broke two major laws. He's saying it's okay to break the Sabbath, that's capital punishment. And now he just said he's equal to God, capital punishment. So it's like, oh, bring it, right? And, they're, and so they're, they're ready for this big trial. Now, now we need to go back to the Jewish culture and think this is a hardcore chapter because you have to be a Jew to understand this, right? Or get into the world of the Jews to understand this because the Jews have laws about witnesses at a trial. One person's not enough right in on joy saturday we read about daniel standing up and saying let's get witnesses in the trial of the lord that we read during holy week it was they needed to get multiple witnesses because one's not enough and their witness has to agree so here are the rules about about witnesses so you have one of the mosaic laws that's in the bible from deuteronomy on the evidence this is deuteronomy 17 verse 6 on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses he that is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on evidence of one witness, right? And so this is this is biblical. Now, Mishnah, to go back to that document of theirs. Um, Mishnah, this is just a small section of it. A person is not believed to testify in his own behalf, right? And Christ is testifying, right? And so there's rules not just about prosecution. That first law is that those who are prosecuting can have only one witness, but also the defense can't have only one witness. So Christ is is appealing to Mishnah as well on some level, and and, and the Jews are using Mishnah. They're saying, you can't testify yourself. And Christ says, you're right. I can't testify of myself because the Mishnah says a person is not believed to testify on his own behalf. um, And a person cannot give testimonies on behalf. Those are two parts of the Mishnah. Here's another part of Jewish culture coming from, from Yusufus, okay, an early, an early Jew. Um, Let not a single witness be credited, but three or at least two. And those such whose testimony is, concern is, is confirmed by their good lives. So they have, I'm not going to keep going into what he said, but he, there's all this stuff about you can't just say it, right? So, you, so Christ, they're saying to him, you can't just say you're the son of the father. You can't just make that proclamation. You legally need witnesses if we're going to have this trial. And so the Lord is saying, oh, by myself, I do nothing. And I can't give testimony of myself. Let me bring you my witnesses. Right? Let me present to you who is going to testify on my behalf. Number one, verse 33. You, you Jews, you sent to John. The witnesser. That's why in John's gospel, he's John the witnesser, not the baptizer, I think. Because the whole gospel of John is one long trial. And so he becomes a witness, right? That John, and he is born witness to the truth. And and Christ is asserting himself here. Not that the testimony which I receive is from man, right? I'm not God because some guy said so. I'm saying this that you might be saved. I'm helping you out here by bringing in John. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. This is prophetic, right? Psalm 131, I will make a horn to sprout for David, the Messiah, and I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. There's a reference here going on where Christ is calling him a lamp on purpose, right? But to be consistent with the John motifs of light, life, all of those, John's not called light, he's called lamp. Jesus is light. John is lamp, right? He's, he just emanates small light, but true light is, is, is God, okay? There's also some connections I won't we'll get into between Elijah also being a lamp because Elijah was told to be this torch that was a flame. And a lot of people consider John like Elijah. There's a lot going on in there. I'm just not gonna spend a lot of time. So the accusation, he's doing things on the Sabbath and he's blasphemous. The defense, statement by the defendant, Right, where Christ is like, oh, let me take you to task. You want to, you want to accuse me? Let me give you a better charge. You want to accuse me of Sabbath? I'll give you a better one. Accuse me of blasphemy. Why is he doing this? Because you know who they're really putting on trial if he's the messenger, to use that understanding we just talked about? Not Jesus. The Father. Because if the messenger is the spokesperson of the, me- the one who writes the message. Who you're really putting on trial is the one who wrote it. So they don't realize what they're walking into, that they're not putting the Lord on trial. They're putting God on trial. They think Jesus is just some guy. But what they're effectively doing now is putting God on trial, the unknowable God. He's saying the one who's unknowable, who I am making known to you as his son, he's on trial. And that's what I mean by him and I are one what you do to me you're doing to him right you are putting the trinity on trial and the result is that he is he's enraging the court okay now the son has independent knowledge and existence right? or he has no independent existence or identity he's always with the father right and as he said earlier in, in the gospels we read He ascends and descends. He's in the bosom of the father. He's always with the father, always seeing the father, always doing what the father does, right? And so it's not an independent existence from God. Their their existence is all connected to one another, right? And, And the word made flesh is the one who's offering them the father, but right now we're seeing them reject the father, right? Now, he brings in more witnesses, so we start with John. So he's like, okay, I'll give you John. He's my first witness. I'm supposed to have more than one. Sure. I won't witness on my own behalf only. Number one was John. Number two, the testimony which I have is greater than that of John. I've got more for you. For the works which the Father has granted me to accomplish, these very works which I am doing, bear me witness that the Father has sent to me. I am doing these miracles that nobody could do. I'm giving life like nobody could do. I'm giving orders like nobody could do. These works are a testimony because if I'm not from God, explain how I can do this. Which we're going to see the bl- man born blind say to the Jews as well. Right? Of being like, if he's not real, how can he do that? Like, what are, you, what are you on? What are you thinking? If you think that some random can do this. Right? So he's saying the father who sent me has himself borne witness to me. That's my third witness is the father. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding you because you don't believe Him who He has sent. Like If you really knew the Father, you would believe me. You don't. You search the scriptures, fifth witness, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me. Even scriptures point out who I am. But you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So he's saying, I have witnesses. You want witnesses? Okay, there's me. I'm speaking. Number two is John. Number three, the works that I do. Number four is the Father. Number five is Scripture. And he's like, but you don't understand why I'm saying all this. Do you think I'm saying all this because I want you to adore me? You think I'm saying this because I want to be like some hero to you? No. Verse 41. I don't receive glory from men. I'm the guy who, when I healed him, slipped away. I don't receive glory from men. Here's why I'm upset, verse 42. Because I know that you have not the love of God within you. You don't love God. You who work in his name, you don't love him. I have come in my father's name and you don't receive me and yet if some other person comes in his own name like i'm coming to you on behalf of god and you reject me but if some random dude were to come to you you'd accept him you would but you don't love god and that's why you don't love me how can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. No, 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 no. Why are we here at the temple? Feast of Tabernacles? You're celebrating Moses? It is Moses who accuses you. On whom you set your hope. If you can picture him standing in the, like, by the temple and pointing at the whole hoopla. This whole thing you're, you're all doing right now to celebrate Moses? Oh, if only Moses were here, Moses would tell you, right? This is where you're putting your hope in and you don't even recognize God. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me.
1: But if you do not believe his writings, how
0: will you believe my words? So Jesus here is not defending himself. That's why he says, I don't, I don't care. I don't care to receive your glory. I'm not, I'm not defending because I want you to praise me. He's calling them out for the much, 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 much bigger issue. You don't love God.
1: And how do I know that? Because I'm from
0: him. I am God. You use scriptures and words of God, but you don't have life. And His Word doesn't live in you. That's why when I'm giving life on the Sabbath, you don't rejoice. You get angry, and instead of loving life, you want to kill me because you don't have love in you, and you don't know how to use the words as words of life. If you did, you'd know who I am, in the egoimi sense, in the I am title of God sense. But that you reject me is proof that you reject the Father. The issue is you love yourself more than you love the truth. That's your issue. You worship yourselves. To get back to that messenger analogy, if you hate what I'm saying, it's not that you hate the messenger. You're using the messenger as your scapegoat. You hate the message. That's the real real truth. That's the reality of this. You hate the message. And if you hate the message, oh, then you really hate the one sending the message because it's his actual message. That's why the one on trial here is God. And they walked into it and had no idea. You don't like being convicted by truth. Because you prefer yourself. Peter, go for it. I
2: was just going to say and the um, top that his, Christ himself is the message. that He's the messenger and the message at the same time. So, yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And it's so confusing. This is a tough chapter, and I'm sorry. I'm not all of them are going to be this heavy. But it's a tough one because the language is tough. And if you don't get into the Jewish understanding of it it gets lost it just it just seems like this long random narrative but it's it's actually one of the most compelling when you when you understand what he's saying and so he's ended with moses as a foreshadower of moses and it's actually this perfect transition to the gospel of john because chapter six has a bit of a moses thing going too because in chapter six just like moses brought to the people manna from heaven so does Christ. Chapter 6 becomes the Eucharist, right? The, the body and the blood and the feeding of the multitude in the miraculous way. Um, so I'm not going to spend more time on, 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 on the witnessing, okay? But I want to bring back this trial motif because that's what's going to keep going, right? Is that he's called these, these people to his witness and the trial doesn't stop. From this point on in the Gospels, the Jews are out to get him. And in, in, in the coming chapters, they're constantly fighting with him, being like, how is he not dead? We all saw him break the law. We all heard him, right? And so everywhere he goes, they're going to be challenging him. So in John 7 through 10, next, next, week, next time it's John 6, it's this isolated thing. He's at the temple again. And then they're not going to leave him alone. And they get in this big public fight. And after that fight is Palm Sunday, the raising of Lazarus, raising Lazarus, then Palm Sunday, sorry. We're like, no, we got to kill him. Like we got to kill him. This is not okay. Right? This is what keeps on on happening. So if we can zoom out now to the spiritual things, I'm like, that's where it fits in the whole gospel of John. This is a pinnacle moment where Jesus has committed, the Lord has committed in the eyes of the Jews two capital offenses for which he must pay. And from here on in, they want to make sure he pays. That's what's going on now in this document called the Gospel of John, right? For reading a novel, this is a turning point. Up to here, he's just some guy. He's cool. He does miracles. He has his followers. People don't know where to stand on him. We heard that he can do miracles. Now it's like, no, now he's done a big thing that we can't ignore. Now he's made a claim, now he's done an act, and that's why from here on in, it's dark. The Gospel of John gets darker and darker and darker. And if we go back to these things we are talking about from the beginning of the Gospel, in the book of John, the dying of Christ has started from his birth, from his entrance into the scene of mission. It's already started. It's not, it's fulfilled in the moment of crucifixion. But he's dying and dying and dying. He's emptying himself more and more and more and more and more. And this gospel, you're going to see that everything is going to be emptying of himself, emptying, emptying, emptying until the moment of glory, which is on the cross. Now, honor and shame we talked about. You need to understand that this is starting to be the buildup that makes the Jews hate him. We're going to talk about it in John chapter 7 through 10 again. That Remember we said in that intro lecture, I'm sorry, that one's not online, about how there's this limited good society, including honor being a limited good. What does that mean? If somebody receives um, more honor, someone else is receiving less. Consider that there's a budget for everything, including honor. If there's a 1,000 units of honor, if someone got 600 units of honor, there's only 400 left. So if Jesus gets 800 honor, there's only 200 left. Now, when the Jews are challenging him, that's how you exchange honor and shame. It's through challenges. Okay? So the Jews have challenged Jesus. On what authority do you do this? And they're expecting to win this argument. And if they win, add 100 gold coins of honor to their budget and less 100 from Jesus. But when Jesus wrecks them, Right? Like they, they're speechless, plus 200 Jesus minus 200 Jews. They're now in the shame region and they hate it. Right? And so, what is the only way to get their honor back is to shame him more. And that's why literally all hell breaks loose crucifixion time, where they're like, oh, give me back all those coins you stolen. We are going to empty that bank and we are going to take it all back. They're like, hi on their insults right but this is starting that you've got to understand that the envy is starting in these episodes because jesus is publicly shaming them but he didn't start it he didn't start it they challenged him first right and so when he answers with truth they don't know how to answer they just look bad that's a great lesson when you stand on truth you will never be ashamed, right? And this is why you might be able to meditate more on some of the Psalms that say, your law is a lamp unto my feet, your truths, your precepts. Blessed are you, O Lord, and your precepts. I will continue to keep your precepts throughout the way because if I stand on truth, no one can dishonor me because the truth is not me, it's you. And as long as I live in light and in truth, I, they can do whatever they want. They will be ashamed. Let my enemies be ashamed and flee from truth. Because even if someone lies, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the truth is going to come out, whether it's in a year, 10 years, 100 years, 50 years, right? Pope Krullus, despised while he was alive. Who who today would think that about Pope Krullus when all we talk about these days is Pope Krullus? Everyone's got Pope Krullus on their walls. Everyone is, yeah, Baba Krullus, do this, do that. Whereas in his life, like sorcerer, liar, faker, weirdo, right? That was what was said to him in his life. Right? But when we stand in truth, I think to fear. Let them say what they're going to say. All I need to know is that what I'm doing is the truth. That's what matters the absolute most, Right, is that I stand on that principle. To come back to the meditations, some of these we talked about in the youth group on the one su- Sunday. Feel free if you want to be down, so like There might be some extra things to discuss. But is are you this paralytic
1: Like this whole encounter starts from a
0: really poor witness in the paralytic. Right? Like, I, I'm not gonna rehash it. Like, I, I, I like when your answer to do you want to be well is oh, I don't have anything, no one helps me, woe is me. Like, like he's a complainer, right? But he's a complainer who gets
1: healed and then sells out God. Like How many of us in our workplaces, in our schools, in our social lives, are so
0: fast to turn on what we believe in because we're afraid of the social ramifications. I hate always bringing up homosexuality because it's just always what's talked about, but I'm gonna use it, forgive me, as an example, where people are afraid to say, yeah, I might not think it's okay to practice, where instead they'll be like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like them. I don't hate them. I don't blah, 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 blah. Like, it's like defensive, right? Or I've seen Christians who will be the first to make fun of other Christians because they want to make sure they're not cast in the same cast light as Christians. Right? Choose any topic you want on that one. Where I'm not saying go like yell and scream and do wrong things. I'm simply saying we do what the paralytic does. We don't want to be kicked out of the temple. The social temple, right? The paralytic has a real fear. For 38 years, I haven't been able to get around. For 38 years, I haven't been able to be a part of public life. For 38 years, I haven't been in with the in crowd. I haven't been able to do anything that I want. Am I going to lose it because of this guy? And it's like, yeah, you should. This is the guy who healed you. Clearly, he's greater than the social circle because he actually fixed you. No one else could fix you. So don't turn on that guy right turn, turn, turn on on someone else, but that's not how we see it. That's one guy to think about, are you him? Are you that guy? The other people to think about is are you the Pharisees? Are you the Jews? Because I think church looks like this a lot sometimes where we're screaming and yelling at people and we've got these list of rules. You can do this, but not this, this, but not this, this, but not this, this, but not this. Like those rules that we read from the Mishnah. Right? And maybe the rules started in a good place. I'm not saying throw out the rules. Christ himself didn't even say throw out the rules. But where we love these rules so much that we treat people like garbage for the sake of the rule, when the rules were made for men and not the opposite. Like Christ himself said, God didn't stop working on the Sabbath. Sabbath is for you, not for me. I'm still working. This is for you. So do we get
1: mad at people? I've seen scenarios where somebody will have messed up hardcore in life. Say they had baby out of wedlock.
0: And then they come to church. Right? And instead of being like, wow, this person could have had an abortion and didn't. This girl's boyfriend left her when she had the baby. And we live in a culture that doesn't smile at people who make mistakes. And she's willing to keep coming to church and raise her kid in the church. And then when I see the Christians saying, stay away from her, she's a bad influence.
1: Are we not the same? We'd rather her die.
0: Let's not be friends. Let's not look out for her. Let's not offer support. Let's not praise her for the right decisions that she made. Let's not praise her for taking ownership of the, of the decisions that led to her situation. This person should never serve. She needs to forever be an example of what it looks like to mess up. We've seen this. This is us.
1: This is scary. And we
0: appeal to the law. And Christ is saying, but I'm here to give life. I'm not here to kill. Your judgment is by simply ignoring the truth. I'm not even actively judging you. You are, you are, you are by your decisions, right? It's, it's, it's huge, right? Like these are, these are, these are, these are things that we do. Are we like that, right? And, 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 and when we do that, we're creating that very atmosphere that makes the paralytic be the way he is. We're making the paralytic not want to stand with truth because we've not made it about the truth. We've made it about us. Right? And that's why when Christ says, you know what my problem is? You don't love God. That's such a hefty accusation that I think I might be guilty of. I want to love God. I don't know if I do. But do we ask ourselves that? Are we about the love of God? Or are we holding things to our standard? Do we hate the message? Are we ashamed of the message? Because the Jews were. That's why he says to me, you don't. That's not my issue. My issue is not that you're not giving me my credit. My issue is that you actually hate the message. When you're publicly saying that everything I'm doing is wrong, you think you're right. You think you're the truth. And that is the biggest disease in my view of our time today. Because we live subjectively today, not objectively. And when when, uh, when the object is replaced with subject, we've we've divinized the subjective. What's your truth? not what is the truth. And once we move away from that, what do we start fighting for? Me, 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 my rights. Look at any family fight. Look at any cultural fight. Look at what we're doing. We're always fighting for our rights. We're not fighting for the right, And the end result is that we are killing one another. And the church, the temple of God becomes the place of death instead of the place of life. Like, I've said it a few times in the, in the series, forgive me for repeating it, but ask yourself, are you, are you comfortable being a Christian among Christians? I, I genuinely sometimes find it hardest to be a Christian with my fellow Christians. I actually sometimes find that secular people are sometimes more willing to be okay with practices that we do right if i were to tell an atheist yeah I, I i fast on wednesday and friday sure they might have a sarcastic comment maybe but i'm like no 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 actually the reason why i fast is this they might be more likely to be like oh that's kind of cool right or at least be open to it you do you man and yet sometimes the christians aren't willing to let you do you right? So we have to ask, do I believe in the message or my modification of it? It's a really, really, really important question, right? And otherwise, this is why we're going to stand judged too, when Christ says, you don't love, you don't have the love of God in you, right? It, it's, it's, it's compelling, right? The other thing to ask is, is sin paralyzing us? When we're paralyzed by sin, we often become cynical. Right? Where we feel so hopeless that we don't know how to react to it. And so we start to project out. Right? There's no point. This is stupid. Is there any sense anyway? That's the stuff of movies. That's for the cynic Right? That's for the monk. That's for the nun. Right? We start to become a little bit cynical. I want to do that. Mark, go for it. Sorry, I didn't see your hand
3: up. Yeah, I have a question. So, I was watching this show, The Chosen. I don't know if everyone watches that or not, but in this uh, scene that you're describing, like this chapter of John, it says that it shows that the paralytic was waiting there for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And then came and did what he did. And then Jesus just left without telling him who he was. So it wasn't like he was intentionally denying that this is Jesus and I'm just denying the guy who cured me. But Jesus, like, slipped out of the scene. And then they were like, who was that? And he was like, I honestly just don't know.
0: Right. So I don't I mean, Except that he's there, back and rats him out. <laughs> what's that? I said, up till then was fine and questionable. But then he actively goes and tells them who.
3: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I was like say, is you there, stuff there, you can is kind of intention,
0: right? But after after he finds out who, he actively goes back and says, "That's the guy." What a guy! Uh, the Lord. When they're like, "Who is it that told you this?" Right, and that's why I'm saying he ends up being the reason for Christ's trial. I'm sure he didn't mean that. But that's what ends up happening, right? Now forget even just the concept of the, of the of, 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 of great truth, capital T truth. But it's also worth paying attention to unnecessary speech. Which we're guilty of a lot. You can sometimes throw in a detail and not realize you start something to cascade. And I'm sure all of you guys have experienced that. You ask me, like, oh, I was chilling with someone. So like, oh, they messaged you? They didn't message me. I wasn't invited, and boom, you have conflict, right? And so Christ himself says, any idle word, you'll be held accountable. These are all things just to, to pay attention to morally. We've done the theological, but morally, right? To be like, you could mean well, but don't speak unless necessary. No one came back to you and asked you, right? Be careful. How often do we hate the message and not recognize what that means about us? that we think we're the source of truth. How do we deal with getting in trouble for
1: a good thing? The Lord did a good thing. He healed, he gave life, and he got in trouble. If you don't root goodness in yourself,
0: you'll be fine. Right, because you're rooting in the truth right? You're not like, I did this good thing. Like like you see it as as a mandate that you're supposed to do what's right. When you see yourself as a source of goodness, if you see yourself as truth, yourself as light, you will be offended when attacked because you'll see it as an attack of your person as opposed to an attack on truth. But if you don't view yourself as the truth, it won't become a personal thing. That's why Jesus is even able to say, forget my honor. It's the father you're insulting and putting on trial. Right? He went straight for it. Imagine, just to make it more like real, imagine if you're sent up to some department at work to deliver a message and they start arguing with you about this new policy that's come up, that you were sent to give them the message of the policy. Now, if you are the author of that policy, Maybe you need to defend it. But if you're simply sent, the easiest thing is to send those people to the ones putting out the policy. It's not your honor. You're just a messenger. Right? The social narrative of modern times doesn't like that idea. Right? Everyone has become the message giver these days instead of the sender everyone views themselves as I have the message. I just think, I just feel, well, they should have the best way. These things are are said all the time. But they don't know what real and false messages are. God points that out to the Jews. He says, it's funny. You guys have all the documentation. You got the law. You got the things. Even the very things you're using all say what I'm saying. But it's because you're not interested in what they're saying. You're interested in making it say what you want it to say because you view yourself as the truth. And because of it, you don't recognize the truth when he's standing right in front of you, literally. And this hatred for truth
1: will be the cause of his death. For he came to his own
0: and his own received him not. He was a light that shone in the darkness, but men preferred the dark. They don't like truth. They don't like light. They reject life. And this is what's gonna escalate hardcore in chapter seven through 10, from the end of six, seven through 10. It'll reach a boiling point, Lazarus' resurrection and upon Sunday, But this is the scene that sets it. This is the scene that shifts us. May God grant all of us that we prefer light rather than dark and that we don't become the ones who put the judge on trial and that instead we prefer light to him, be glory and honor now and always, the age of all ages. Amen. Um, Any uh, questions, uh, comments, uh, add-ons, reflections, criticisms, anything?
3: I have a question. go ahead. All right. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Peter. Go. No. No, no go for it. Huh? <laughs> I can't hear you. Go for it. No, no, go, go. I'll go after you. Okay, Abel. Yo. Um so the Jews were expecting one person like a Messiah and then Jesus showed up. What made them like, this is probably maybe an ignorant question on my part, but what made them like expect one thing and then another thing showed up? Like, why, like, where were they misled along the way? I guess would be my question.
0: That's gold, because that's the crux of the issue, right? Is that the Jews had switched. They, 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 and we do this, like, I'm, I'm like, we still have this problem. The Jews had moved away from this understanding of being the, the unique people of God who are in covenant with God in, in, in this unity with Him right, and that they were the people of God only because the world rejected, to starting to focus on what it meant to be material, to be the kingdom, the earthly kingdom. So in their mindset, the Messiah, when he comes, is going to uphold their laws, uphold their traditions, restore the glory of the temple, and restore the kingdom. They wanted material, and the whole Gospel of John is saying material dies, seek immaterial. And so they're not able to see past the material when Christ there. That's actually why, if I can get a little philosophical, I think the gospel of John is elitist on some level, where, St. John, where the evangelist is saying, do you get it? And the ultimate pinnacle of that question is going to come at crucifixion. Can you look at this person hanging on the cross, dying in front of you and recognize that he's God because that's the crux of where the Jews went wrong they worshipped material at that point and that's why I'm saying we do that today too where we think if I pray enough I'll get into med school if I if I fast and pray I'll get my 90 right if I read the orologian the Igbeya I won't get in a car accident we deal with God too and he's saying I'm that's not what I'm about actually that's not that's not the point of it that's where they went wrong in my view.
1: Thanks.
2: Peter, you're gonna say something. There you are. Um <clears throat> I was just gonna say I really like how you pointed out um the trial motif. Because I think it really spins the gospel in a new light. And um I mean, there are a lot of motifs. I think John uses uh, bridal imagery, um, temple imagery for sure, liturgical imagery. But the trial one really speaks, like, it really brings things together because you know there's this constant dialogue, like you said before. And and when you were speaking, I just like searched up the word witness in the Gospel of John, and it's one of the words that comes up. The most in the Bible it shows up in one book is the gospel of John, aside from Acts, but yeah. I think there's a reason for that, too. But um, it's also cool because, you know, um, we call the gospel, the gospel, the message of the gospel essentially is the passion of Christ. In fact, when we were, uh, when the church first was trying to, um, you know, the criteria that the church used, at least Father Thomas Hopkins says this, criteria that the church used um, to figure out which Gospels were canonical, or to at least, you know, have the reasoning behind why these ones are canonical and the others and the apocryphal ones aren't, is the fact that the passion is the center of the Gospel. So you have the apocryphal Gospels often either entirely leaving out, um, omitting the, the, the passion, or appending it to the end as sort of an afterthought, or like or to have these fantastical like images of the passion where Christ only appears to suffer, like in Docetism, and not really suffer in the flesh. So somehow the, the passion is taken away. So the gospel is ultimately the passion, the message of the gospel, which which causes the determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so every time we read the gospel, we say that the gospel is read in church. That is a facet of the passion that's being presented. And I think the story that you presented today in John 5 that we read together really shows that motif already at the beginning. Like you said, he's dying from birth. And you're seeing it here in John 5 where, you you know, when you're focusing in and honing in on the, the paralytic, kind of almost, you know. Double crossing Christ, there's a foreshadowing there of Judas in a And you said it, it, he's the one who gets the ball moving, just like Judas does in a more, you know, cataclysmic way at the very end. So you have him already foreshadowing Judas. You have the trial, which culminates in this grand trial before he gets crucified. You have these witnesses that are coming forward. Um, and you have Christ already being persecuted. Um so I don't know there it was really cool to see that and to notice that there's the like the the big picture is being shown in every small picture or every small snapshot of the gospel so that was really cool. I just wanted to share that thank you
0: I really like your um your parallel of 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 the paralytic and um and judas I actually didn't uh, connect those two before but you're right, it really is a type of foreshadowing. And both with, I think, possibly, quote unquote, good intention. We'll talk about it when we get to do this because it wasn't motivated purely by greed.
1: Awesome. Anyone else, anything
4: to share, comment on, or throw out there? Yeah, uh, thank you for the, the study. Um, I had a question, though, on why Jesus decided to specifically heal the the paralytic on the Sabbath. Because it's almost like he was asking for this whole situation to arise. And um, at the same time, like, uh, you know, he, he kind of knew the paralytic's response as well and how he'd kind of um, point the Pharisees toward him. And uh, also, as a side note, I guess, um, I, I was just wondering, like, I, I'm a little bit less harsh on the paralytic than you are. Um, I know this year, I, I'm not sure when exactly your birthday is, but it's like your 38th year um, on planet Earth. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> imagine uh, imagine being paralyzed for 38 years and trying every single year to get help and be healed, but not being healed. Like, you know, I feel like if I was in the paralytics position, I'd probably also be really, uh, really annoyed and kind of, like, at that point where I just, you know, it's not even worth it anymore. And so uh, I, feel, yeah. I feel for him a little bit.
0: No, I think I'm projecting. I think part of why I don't like him is because I'm him. Like, straight up. Like, which, which I said on this Sunday thing together. Like, when it was that Sunday's reading. Where I, I do think I can relate. I, 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 and I don't like me when I'm like that. Like, I don't like the double crossing. But it shows you the goodness of God right it's it's like he healed the paralytic but he also chose judas he takes people where they're at right and he's not choosing them to cause them harm he's just choosing them it shows you how much is in our power because there's when there's a prophecy it's prophecy because you're not saying i'm going to make this happen prophecy is saying i'm telling you what's going to happen and if i'm a good prophet what i'm saying comes true if i'm a bad prophet it won't come true right? So for example, he didn't choose, the reason I'm saying this is that he didn't choose Judas to betray him. He chose Judas who ends up betraying him, right? And so it shows you that how deep is the love of God, that knowing what we would do, you can take it even further back, he still created us, knowing that all this would happen, let alone the paralytic, right? And that is a big source of comfort to say that the Lord still comes. And that's why I think, this is my personal meditation, but I think that God saw his paralysis, and I like that God didn't say, "Until you're right in the head, I'm not dealing with you." He didn't do that, right? He said, "No, I know where you're at, and I understand you're at. AP in two thousand years is going to make fun of you. I don't make fun of you. I know who you are, right? And I am going to accept you as you are, and I will give you that life, even." Okay, hold on. I will not allow anyone to unmute for a second. Or you can just start a museum meeting. Okay, sorry, guys. I'm really, really sorry. Um, I've reported that, and I prevented anybody from unmuting. So anybody who wants to talk um, can raise their hand. Um, I'm really sorry about that. I'm glad it wasn't graphic this time. My apologies for that, though. Um, No, Jose, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm just kicking out uh, some of this. I haven't had this happen in a long time, so I think I got a little bit too lax with it. Um, but yes, Mark, to your point, sorry, I'm so distracted, that, yeah, you're right, and I think he's relatable, and I don't know what I'd be like. And that's why I'm saying I do think we would become more cynical when we're stuck in it for such a long time um like and and we've got to be careful of that but again i do like i know it's not comfortable to talk about it but here there's this link with this man his sin and his disease right like that christ says don't do this and again or a worse thing will happen that we do need to also understand um that we are um often responsible for our own predicaments that doesn't make god hate us and not do stuff anymore right but just that we also do need to realize that that when we get stuck in that cynicism and all these things um that we also um you know sorry i'm so distracted by what just happened my dad okay um i'm gonna end this because there is messed up stuff happening um everyone please pray our father on your own because it's just too much to control right now and pray for me i'm so sorry guys um god bless